Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. our worship team this morning choir hey thank you for being here thank you for watching online and at our Rossville campus as well first Samuel chapter 16 that's in the Old Testament if you have your Bibles this morning if not it'll be on the screen first Samuel chapter 16 now I'm starting a new sermon series today uh, called King David a person after God's own heart how do we become here's what we know about David as a matter of fact we know almost everything about his life. We have great detail about the life of David. Here's what the Bible says about David, that he was a man after God's own heart. And because we know everything about David, we know that not everything about David's life was good. One of the reasons we know the Bible's inspired because if we had written that David was a man after God's own heart, all we would have written down in the scripture were the good things about David, but that's not true. God has told us everything about David, the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. And so even knowing there's bad and there's ugly, the scripture tells us that he's a man after God's own heart. So I'm fascinated by that. How can a man where we know so much about him be considered by God a man after his own heart? Well, that's what I want us to look at over the next four weeks. We're going to look at how do we maybe follow that pattern and I'm not even going to be able to look at all the major instances in David's life I'm just going to be able to look at some of the uh, four of the major 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 instances in David's life even the good and even the bad and we're going to talk about how maybe we can become that person after God's own heart so I want to preach on this subject this morning doing your part first Samuel chapter 16 doing your part. If you want to be a person with the heartbeat of God, hear me, it will not happen with you sitting on the sidelines watching others take part in kingdom activity. Hear me, I know you're just finding your place in your Bibles. I know you're just getting settled. I know you're just getting into preacher listening mode, but I don't want that first sentence to get by you. That if you want to be a person with the heartbeat of God, it will not happen with you sitting on the sidelines watching others take part in the kingdom of God. God means for every Christian, every child of God to have a part in his kingdom. We don't have to go into the next life empty-handed. Not only that, you, you don't want to wind up on death's door wishing you had done more. For the kingdom of God. I feel like in the last few weeks I've been surrounded by death. It's been on our minds. We've laid in bed and many a night. My wife and I have talked about our final breaths and death's door in heaven and what it's like. And uh, all sorts of questions are running through our, our, our minds as we look at the scriptures and we just we ponder the next life. And here's what I know. When we get there in our lives, we... We don't want to have a case of the wish I had of when we're at death's door. Now, 
That, that's one perspective to look at it. There's two groups of Christians I'll, I'll talk about in a moment. They're, they're, they're the ones who, who feel like they have nothing to add to the kingdom of God. And then there, there's another group of Christians that feel like they have to do everything for the kingdom of God. You kind of feel like this baseball player. His name is Bert Campanaris. He, he is famous in Major League Baseball for really one thing. On September 8th, 1965, at Kansas City Municipal Stadium in front of a crowd of over 21,000, they witnessed Bert Campanaris of the Kansas City Athletics become the first Major League player to play all nine positions in a single game. The owner was Charles Finney, and Charles uh, looked at his team, and the home attendance had been poor, and he went to Campanaris, and he said, we're going to pull a stunt, and we're going to try to get more people in the stadium, and he said, I'll make you a million-dollar player for one night. So he paid him a million-dollar salary, not a million dollars, but prorated a million dollars for one night of baseball if you will play all nine positions in this game in 1965. And so he did it. Burt Campanaris did it. He started off in the first inning at shortstop, which would have been his normal position at shortstop. And then in the second inning, he moved over to second base. Not a big difference between shortstop and second base. And while he was at second base, he uh, did do a little activity right there. And then uh, third inning, he went to third base and the batter the pitcher retired the side in order and then in the fourth inning he went to left field and while he was in left field he did uh, catch a fly ball from his first cousin who was on the other team in the fifth inning he moved to center field and nothing was hit his way in center field and in the sixth inning he moved to right field and again pretty boring inning in right field now in the seventh inning he moved to first base and he had a one-handed put out while I was at first base but really nothing major there but in the eighth inning he took the mound and he had this is uh he walked a couple batters he gave up a hit he let a run score but here's the most amazing thing about Burke Campanaris in the eighth inning pitching is he was an ambidextrous pitcher so he threw left-handed to lefties and right-handed to righties. And he, he gave up one run, which gave him a career ERA of 9.00, and he never pitched in another game in his 19 years in the major leagues. And then finally in the ninth inning, he played catcher. And it wasn't his best uh, position. And he actually was involved in... A couple of defensive putouts, and he got hurt playing catcher and wound up missing several games. But here he is, Burt Campanaris, shortstop, second, third, left, center, right, first, mound, catcher. As far as the game went, he was over three at the plate with a strikeout, a walk, and a run scored. He made putouts in left field, center field, and first base, and two at catcher, and stole a base and struck out. He had an assist at second, made an error in right field, and was involved in a critical collision at home plate that kept uh, uh, California, for, uh, Kansas City, I should say, from scoring, or maybe, no, excuse me, California from scoring a run. So in one game, Bert Campanaris was the first person ever, and has been done four times since then, including in 2015, it was done by comedian Will Farrell in a spring training game, as he did it in honor of Campanaris to raise money for cancer research. All nine positions in one major league game. Literally, Burt 
Campanaris did it all. And I tell you that because I think that's the way some Christians feel about kingdom work. Especially if you were in a smaller church somewhere in your life, here's what you feel like, is that you have to do it all. And the fact is, God doesn't want that, or God doesn't need that. God doesn't need me doing it all. God doesn't need you doing it all. God God doesn't need any of us doing it all. Here's what God needs. God needs us doing our part. The part he's gifted you for. The part he has equipped you for. The part he has called you for. That if you want to be a person after God's heart, it will mean you'll have to do your part, no matter how small or how large you think that part is. God has gifted you to make a difference. God has gifted you to change the world. God has gifted you to do something spectacular for his kingdom in this world and for his kingdom. You are not saved for the sidelines. But you're going to have to be in the game, doing your part, if you're going to be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? And I want us to unpack that in the life of David, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. And let's read this opening story of really of David's life. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm singing you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you're to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. And when the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? And verse 5, he said, In peace. And he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel, and the Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. And Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And after Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. And the Lord said to him, anoint him, for he's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Thank you. You may be seated. This is that initial introduction into David's life where God places a call on his life. And I want us to learn from that today about us doing our part. Let me make four statements about us doing our part. Number one, I want you to know this, that the rap can be a trap. That the rap can be a trap. We find that uh, along about verse number six in the Bible, in the passage. It says this, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. Eliab was the oldest son 
of Jesse. He was also the most imposing son of Jesse. We learn in the scripture that Eliab was a, was a tall man. No doubt, Eliab was a, was a good-looking man. He was the oldest man, which gave him a measure of authority. Eliab, from what he did for a living, would have been muscular. I mean, he had it all going for him. Probably had a pretty wife and was a Georgia fan on top of all that. Remind you of somebody you know this morning, I'm sure. But, um, I mean, Eliab, if you were playing pickup basketball, Eliab was the guy you wanted on your team. When you were in school choosing players, Eliab was the guy that always got picked first. Samuel walks up to Eliab and he, he, he says to himself, but he says it out loud, obviously, obviously, God, I have found the next king of Israel. I mean, look at him, God. He's tall, he's muscular, he's handsome, he's the oldest, he's probably wise. I mean, Eliab's the leader in his father's house. I mean, this guy's a leader above leaders. Like, like God said, stop the, uh, Samuel probably said, stop the presses, I've got the guy. And the Lord said to Samuel, well, not yet. That's not him. It lets me know this in the kingdom of God. If Samuel could make this mistake, you can make this mistake, and I can make this mistake. And that is we pay too much attention to what's on the outside. See, when it comes to serving God, we get the idea sometimes that we may not be enough. Why? Because we're looking on the outside. Or sometimes when we're serving God, we, we get the idea that we may be all that, but because we're looking on the outside. As a matter of fact, we almost always fall into two categories. We, we think we're, I'm just going to use North Georgia slang, we think we're all that, right? Like we look at ourselves and we're like, look at my talent. I mean, look, look at what I've got going for me. Look at my success in other places in life. Look at how good I am. And so we get fascinated by the, our own outside. And we'd never say it out loud. We know the Bible enough to know pride is frowned upon in the Bible. But honestly, if we were being honest with ourselves, we look at ourselves and we're like, yeah, I got it going on. This church is lucky to have me here. But then there's the flip side of that. Not only do we think we're all that, but some others fall in the category we think we're none of that, right? We look at our lives and we look at the outside of our lives and, and we're like, I don't have anything going for me. I don't have success anywhere in life. I don't have victory anywhere in life. I don't have anything I can offer. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any successes I can point to. And so we tend to look at ourselves when we're looking at the outside and we think we're all that or we think we're none of that. And either way, we're tricked by what's on the outside because we look at our package and based off that, let me tell you this morning, the rap can be a trap because if you want to be someone after the heart of God, then we've got to get our eyes off the package and realize that God has a call on your life to do something for his kingdom. It doesn't matter what the wrapping is. It doesn't matter what the packing is. The, the, the wrapping you have in life, the package that you are as a child of God is how God has constructed you and put you together. And the wrapping can be deceiving. It can make us think we're more than we are or, and we won't pursue God or we'll think we're not enough and so we won't pursue God. And either way, the wrapping becomes a trap. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to be honest with me, all right? Everybody 100% honest. No lying whatsoever. If you're a parent, 
How many of you have hidden snacks from your kids so they wouldn't find them? Let me see your hand. Obviously you have. If you have any sense whatsoever, you tell your kids they shouldn't eat sugar, and then you hide all the sugar so you can eat it, right? That's how it works. We, we don't let them have it, but when you get to be an adult, that's why you put on so much weight when you go to college or when you first get married. Nobody's telling you no to the ice cream all of a sudden, and you can just eat all you want. So oftentimes we'll, we'll try to hide our snacks, and when our kid gets old enough, our kids can figure out where the snacks are hidden and how you hide them. And one day you'll go reach into your bag of chocolate or your box of ice cream, and you'll look and it'll all be gone. Why? Because you're, they figured you out. They, they know what your hiding places are. And so Oreos has figured that out. Have you seen this? Oreos has figured out, and they're trying to help you as a parent. Because Oreos has started... It, they call it their Thins Protection Program. And if you look at it like this, it looks like a bag of Jolly Green Giant cauliflower rice veggies. And I'll just be honest, the kids aren't getting in the cabinet for a package of cauliflower rice veggies. And so they call it the Thin Protection Program. And, and they came along and Oreos actually partnered with, with companies like Ford and Hanes and Green Giant and Better Homes and Gardens to disguise the cookies as things like a t-shirt package, a cookbook, cauliflower rice, and even a truck manual. So if you want to hide your Oreos in plain sight, buy a truck manual and ain't none of your kids looking for a truck manual in their home ever, ever. The problem is at the time of writing that article, at the time of when I put it in my notes, there were only 3,000 packages available and they were gone. But Oreos... Oreos did it so they could make the wrap a trap so that what was on the inside was being hidden by what's on the outside so that what was on the outside was not a good representation of what was on the inside and that's a little bit how we act in the kingdom of God we get tricked that same way in the kingdom of God we either totally depend upon the wrapping that we find in our lives or we're totally fooled a fold because of the wrapping that is in our lives and by the way both are wrong because the wrap is a trap you have a part in the kingdom of God and Paul tried to tell us this later on Paul told us this in first Corinthians 1 brothers and sisters consider your calling not many were wise from a human perspective not many powerful not many of noble birth Paul was telling the church at Corinth, hey, your, your wrapping can be deceiving. You'll notice there aren't a lot of people wrapped up in wisdom from a human perspective or wrapped up in power or wrapped up in nobility. You're just regular old folks. And there were people in the church at Corinth who were thinking, I'll never do anything for the kingdom of God. I don't have a lot of wisdom. I don't have a lot of power. I'm not from a wealthy family. And Paul said, that's not what it's about. Paul said, get this, it's all about the calling that God has placed on your life. The calling that God has placed on your life. And Paul told us, don't pay attention to the wrapping. Now let me talk to you about you. 
How many of you this morning have been guilty of looking at the outside and thinking there's not much I can do for the kingdom of God? You've been looking at the outside and here's what you think. You think I can't sing. I don't have any singing ability whatsoever. Well, I don't either. I don't either. Some of you are thinking, well, I, 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 I can't preach. Some of you think I can't even pull for the right football team. And I get it. I understand where you are. But you're looking at the rapping way too much and not your calling. The danger is also of the people who are thinking, I'm so awesome I don't even need God. Look, look at what I can do. Look at my talent. Have you seen what I can do? Have you heard what I can do? Have you witnessed what I can do for the kingdom? Obviously, God needs me, and that's what Samuel would have said about Eliab. But hear me, the rap is a trap. Both are wrong. You have a part in the kingdom of God. You have a calling in your life, a calling from the kingdom of God. Don't let the wrapping that you have in your life deceive you. You have a part. That leads me to number two. If it's not about the wrapping, what is it? Number two, we learn it's the me you can't see that matters. It's me you can't see. Look, look what he said in, in verse number seven. He said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the, say it with me, heart, heart, heart. The Lord sees the heart. You want to be a person after God's own heart. You want to do your part. It starts on the inside, not on the outside. Now hear me, I'm all for talent. I'm all for ability. I'm all for training. I get all of that. But too often, we don't need more training. We don't need more talent. We don't need more abilities. We need a work of God on the inside before God will use us. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Godliness trumps talent every time. Hear me. Godliness trumps talent every time. The power of God trumps your ability or my ability every single time. Too often we've adopted the philosophy of fake it till you make it, and God does not agree with that philosophy. You want to be a man after God's own heart, your part starts with you working on the inside and letting God do a work on the inside more than you working on the outside. God's not interested in our false advertisement. You'll get nowhere with claiming to be one thing and being another. As a matter of fact, in the Scripture, that is called hypocrisy in the Scripture. Hypocrisy. It's the same, it's the me you can't see that God is concerned about. You can't be used by God if the inside doesn't match up with what's on the outside. Right? If the advertisement is different than the actual You'll never be used by God. I, I saw this story. Uh, this guy here, he heard, heard about a man that placed an order for an iPhone. He thought he was getting a great price on the iPhone. And uh, uh, he, he, he saw it, and he saw that beautiful picture of the iPhone. You see it right there. And, and, he, and he bought the iPhone. He thought it was a really, really good deal. And he was not in America. But, in, he, he, you know, he thought it looked large on the photo, but not that large. They didn't have a person standing next to it 
like this. And so he got his iPhone in the mail, and he noticed it was an enormous, enormous box that it was delivered in. And when he opened it up and ripped open the box and everything, it looked just like an iPhone until he propped it up, and what it actually was was a coffee table. He had ordered an iPhone, and you can see the coffee table had the little home button. It had the speaker. It looked exactly, the coloring was a gold iPhone 7, I think it was. It looked exactly like an iPhone until he opened it up and found the coffee table on the inside. And for some Christians, the reason we can't be used by God is because we're trying to sell the world and the church and God one thing when really we're something else on the inside. God isn't concerned about our marketing abilities. He's concerned about the real you. God's not looking at the outward appearance. God is looking at the me that you can't see. Now, I want to be honest, you can fool the preacher and you can fool the deacon and you can fool the Sunday school teacher and you can fool your husband sometimes and your wife sometimes and your kids sometimes, but you cannot fool God. God sees through the false advertisement. And if you want to have the heart of God, listen to me, care more about who you really are than what people think you really are. Being used by God starts with having a life of holiness. It starts with having a life of godliness. It starts with having an abiding relationship with Jesus. It starts as growing as a disciple. Let me ask you this morning, what does your inner life look like? What does your inner life look like? We spend so much time making sure we look great outside, we are void on the inside. Third thing we learn from the life of David about doing your part is number three, we need to work while we wait. Work while you wait. Look, look what he said in, in verse number 11. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? And they're still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down until he, and eat until he, until he gets here. We'll sit down and eat until he gets here. David was the future king of Israel. He was going to rule the greatest nation on earth, the nation blessed by God, the nation loved by God, the nation chosen by God. He would be the king of kings on earth. And what was he out doing? He was out taking care of the sheep. Do you know what he did after he was anointed king? He went back and he tended sheep. We, we have reference to it later on in Scripture. While David was waiting for his call to greatness, he did the menial task of a shepherd. Now later on we find out that God used the menial task of a shepherd to train him to become a warrior, to train him to become a king. But right now it's just the menial task of a shepherd. And so David said, while I wait, I'll work doing a menial task. Until God fulfills the call of my life. I mean, at that moment, David had been anointed king with oil by Samuel. It was a done deal. But it was going to be years before it came into effect. And in that waiting time, old David just went back and took care of the sheep again. We have stories of him taking care of sheep even after this time. Can I tell you something about serving the Lord? Is that everybody wants to jump straight to being a king. 
But it's in the shepherd's role that we learn how to really serve God. It's in the waiting period while the call of God is on our lives that God is wanting to know sometimes as he delays that kingship, God is wanting to know, will you serve me even though you're not a king? And David went back and said, I'll be a shepherd. And God, train me what you want to train me. And let me learn. And by the way, it was not wasted time tending sheep. We're going to learn in the next sermon that God used that time in the menial task of a shepherd to prepare David for the greater task of being king. It wasn't wasted time from David's perspective and God's. You ever wonder how much time you'll spend waiting in your life? If you, you may not have ever wondered this. If you lived in the Atlanta metro area like I did, you'll, you'll, you'll wonder how much time of my life do I spend uh, waiting at red lights. Well, they've done studies on this kind of thing. And the average commuter spends 17,600 minutes per year uh, driving and 3,520 of those minutes per year waiting at red lights. If you start driving a little after 15 years old and you quit driving, let's say when you're 65 years old, that means you will spend exactly waiting at red lights four months of your life sitting at a red light. Four months. Put that in perspective. That's 24 hours a day for four consecutive months. Or if you only wanted to wait in eight-hour shifts, that would be one year of your life in an eight-hour shift sitting at red lights doing nothing. I mean, you may be listening to the radio. You you may be uh, listening to a podcast. You, You may just be twiddling your thumbs. I've seen plenty of women behind me taking advantage of the opportunity to put on mascara even after the light has turned green. I don't know if that counts in this time or not, but it's basically doing nothing. We're just waiting. And we get the idea that serving God is a little bit like waiting at a red light. Well, I'm not doing really what, I'm not doing anything big for the kingdom. God's not doing what God maybe has called me to do. I'm just waiting at a red light. But hear me, that is not true. We want to get to the destination so bad in our life and sitting and waiting is not part of it. But while you wait, here's what David did. He worked. David could have said, Dad, let's make me a miniature throne. Let me practice sitting on the throne. David, Dad, make me boss of the family because one day I'm going to be boss of the family and and, and let me practice ordering y'all around. And Dad, I want you to serve me because, no, he didn't do any of that. David said, here's what I'm going to do. If y'all don't mind, I'm just going to go back and keep taking care of the sheep until God makes me the king of Israel. And it's exactly what he did. He did the menial task of working while he waited. You may have a call on God on your life today. You do have a call of God on your life today. Can I give you some advice? Work while you wait. We always need help in the kids' ministry. We always need help in the preschool ministry. We always need help greeting. We always need help with coffee. We always need help volunteering. You just name it. We need the help. And you say, well, preacher, I've got a bigger call of God on my life. I get it. You very well well may have. But can I give you some advice? Tend a few sheep while you're waiting to become king. It's in those quiet moments of serving in thankfulness and menial tasks that you really become a person after God's own heart. 
You say, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor and you're on stage every week. Can, can I be honest with you? I never intended to do what I'm doing today. I never, as a matter of fact, early on, I said, not ever, ever, ever. But you know what happened to me? I just kept volunteering for junk. I did. I was driving a bus route, picking up kids when I was 18, 19 years old. I, back then, you didn't have to have a Last special license really to do all that and I drove a 66 passenger bus 18 19 20 years old I'd pick up 50 kids on a Sunday bring them to church we didn't have kids church or anything like that and I said uh, you know what I said let me I went to my pastor and I said let me start a kids ministry children's church and he said well you're not a preacher and I said well do I have to be and he said no I don't guess and I said well let me just start one these kids are in the service and they're really they're, they're it's hard to keep them in control and so I went and started a kids church you say well look at there you on the stage if you think being on stage in front of 50 kids is on stage you have lost your mind but I drove a bus and I did kids church and then we didn't have a student pastor and I said well, you know what I was only like 19 I'm still student and I'm like hey I'll volunteer I'll teach your Sunday school class I'll do some stuff I didn't even get a title I just started doing it and I became the student pastor and did all these menial tasks and people would come to me and say man you're going to be a pastor one day and I'd say not in a million years don't have any desire don't want to do it don't have any interest in doing it don't even want to be a preacher I was doing all this wasn't even had any announced my call to ministry yet why I was just really looking back I was doing what David was doing I was just tending the sheep until God put a call on my life and so many of us want the call without working while we wait I don't know what it is God may have placed on your heart and it's a real call of God on your life can I give you some advice just volunteer anywhere I said this to Jimmy the other day it's hard to steer a parked car it's got to be moving in some momentum for you to get it going another direction. And so reason, the reason so many people aren't being used by God is you're sitting still waiting on the, uh, the anointing of God on your life, the calling of God on your life to bring fruition where God is saying, if you'd get busy, I'd give you the calling. Number four, here's what we learned from David. I'm finished. Seek the presence, not the prestige. Seek the presence. Not the prestige. Here's what we learn about a man after God's own heart. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Hold your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. Here, here's what happened David was anointed king over all of Israel. He went back to the sheep, but here's what the Bible says. The Spirit of God came on him powerfully from that day forward. That David's pursuit became the presence of God. David took a look at his life, and he said, I'm going to be king of Israel one day. I'm going to need the presence of God. He didn't go out and chase down the kingdom. He let God bring it to him. But he, look, you know what David didn't do? I love this. David didn't Instagram or TikTok out his anointing at all. I mean, if Samuel walked to one of us with a bottle of anointing, we'd say, hey, hey, hold on a second. Let me get my iPhone out and let me, let me get this on TikTok while you're... David didn't do any of that. Nobody even knew it. He went back and pursued the presence of God on his life until the Bible said the Lord was on him powerfully. Can I tell you that's what we're missing in churches? People who care more about the presence of God than they do anything else. People who want 
God in their lives more than they want recognition, more than they want fame, more than they want their will, their way, their rights. They want the presence of God. And a man after God's own heart is consumed by chasing down the presence of God in their lives. You you probably won't recognize this photo. Uh, Old, old photo. If you know someone on the loose like there is in Florida, there's probably a bloodhound on their trail. The most famous bloodhound in America was a Kentucky hound named Nick Carter. He's there in the photo. He was born late 1899, and his handler was Captain G.V. Mulligan. Nick Carter became a legend for man-trailing talents. He was particularly skilled at following very cold, scent, very old trails. One time following a guy for 55 miles before he caught him 1909 old Nick Carter was taken to the scene of a fire the house had actually burned four days earlier and they thought it'd be impossible for Nick Carter to chase him down Nick sniffed around a burned shell of a house took off running and cornered the arson less than a mile away from the house he could do what no bloodhound can do he's credited with more than 650 fines and in 1903 in the newspaper it is said in 1903 alone nick carter had put 126 criminals in jail in 1903 alone 126 criminals here's what they said about old nick carter once he that bloodhound got on your trail nothing could stop him Stand with me this morning. What's a bloodhound have to do with this sermon? Just this. God wants you on the trail of his presence. God wants you consumed with his power, his presence in your life. Like a bloodhound on a trail. God wants you to go after him, a pursuit of him. Let nothing stand in your way. Seek the presence, not the prestige. How to become a person after God's own heart. I understand the rap can be a trap. I understand that it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's the me you can't see that matters. And too often we're spending all our time on the me you can see and none of our time on the me you can't see. Sometimes we've got a call of God in our lives and we're waiting for God to do something miraculous with us. But here's what God really wants to start off with. God's wanting to see if you'll be faithful in the mundane instead of the miraculous. So a person after God's own heart just works while they wait. And a person after God's own heart seeks the presence of God above all else, like a bloodhound on a trail. I won't stop until the presence of God permeates my life. 
Pastor Joel, thank you so much for that incredible message. And um, man, as a, as a culture, as society, we, we are so much. We're focused on what we see. And there's so much more um, to people. There's so much more to our spirituality. There's so much more to Christianity um, than what you see on the outside. And when it comes to you serving God, you may look at yourself and you say, uh, man, I can't do this like that person does, or I'm incapable of doing this. And really, um, what is on the inside is what is most important. And the message this morning and the story of the life of David when God chose him to be king is such a powerful uh, illustration, a reminder of that truth. Here's the deal though. Um, what's most important inside of you is that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, that you begin that relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that right, nothing else in your life matters. And so if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And it's as simple as you understanding that you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to fix your problem with sin. Your sin separates you from God. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sin so that you can have a relationship with Him. You've got to be willing to admit that you're a sinner. And you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. The blood that He shed pays for your sins. And then you confess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, we will be saved. If you've never done that this morning, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And it starts with you just confessing, just telling God that you want a relationship with Him. If you've never prayed before, you want some help praying, repeat this prayer after me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again conquering sin, death, and hell for me. Lord, right now I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family. And we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. We've got some material that we want to send uh, to you in the mail. And we want to connect with you, and we want you to know that you're not on this journey alone. And uh, so if you would, click on the link that we've just dropped in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ, and uh, we'll connect with you and help you take next steps. Man, it's been awesome to be in, uh, together this morning worshiping, and um, I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.